Street in Berkeley, Thursday evening, September 15th. He'll be hosted by Greg Bridges. This KPFA benefit has wheelchair access tickets available mid-August at brownpapertickets.com and our indie bookshops. Full info on the KPFA website for next Gow, September 15th. And you are listening to 94.1 KPFA and 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, 97.5 K248BR in Santa Cruz and online at kpfa.org. The time is 3 p.m. Stay tuned next for Cover to Cover with Jennifer Stone. The ending, nice and tidy, it's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday, happy endings are the rule, so divide up. In darkness From the ones Who walk In light Light them up Boys There's your picture Drop the shadows Out of sight This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw, and today I have so many things. I have so many things in my my little folder, my little basket. I I've got to stop this scatter shot uh, approach. It's just too many things, you know. We got to narrow things down until they mean something. Today is August the 30th, 2016, and I have a notice here saying that we will begin our fundraising marathon early on 7 September. Now, that's a week from tomorrow, Wednesday, the 7th of September. So what I will try to do on the 6th of September is give you some good reasons why, oh, why you should support KPFA. Why we're worth your nickel. Oh, I, I don't know why. I, I think everybody knows why, why we got to save KPFA. Dear old KPFA, yes, indeed, you know how that goes. It's like every time I ask someone why, you know, they like KPFA, they just sort of stare at me and say, well, you know, they do hear things on this station that they don't hear other places. Now, I don't know if that's altogether good. They usually include me. Uh, I love KPFA just, well, KPFA is where the women are wise and the men know why. <laughs> Actually, I made a list the other day of all the, uh, what is it, all the negative and positives that I've received this year. You know, letters and feedback and so forth. And I do have more, more positive, uh, more positive uh, feedback. But the truth is, uh, 
A lot of times people don't agree with me. Ah, I'm reading here that Gertrude Stein was a fascist. Uh huh, and that I should not uh, give her a pass. But、uh, never mind. I'll answer that letter later. On the whole, that letter was very positive from Jay, and I, I do think I I can give Jay's letter some time next week. But what I wanted to say is just that、uh, if I have offended you, <laughs> take it in good part. Yes. Remember, remember,、uh, we must defend to the death the right of everyone to speak.、Uh, you know, it's not—it's not so simple, actually.、Uh, There's that. I used to say, I used to say something to students.、Uh, used to say, "Well, now your rights end where my nose begins," but. Anything you say, I I have to take it. I just have to take it and try to integrate it. But never mind. As I said, no more of this scattershot nonsense. I I have twenty things to recommend to you, but I'm going to do what I said I would do, which is to stick to women until this election. Just hang in there and hang on and look at what the women have had to say.、Uh, I don't find this limiting, as some of my feedback says here. Some people think that、uh, we limit ourselves. I, I actually, I did throw in one, one male voice today.、Uh, I have three voices. Just stick to these.、Uh, have hardening of the categories again because all three are、uh, people of color. We have Sojourner Truth, and we have. W. E. B. Du Bois, America's nineteenth、uh, century black scholar,、uh, you know, a public intellectual, the heavy duty guy. I'm going to get around to Frederick Douglass as well because he was the the African American male man who spoke up at the、uh, women's conference, Seneca Falls, the big one, you know. Uh, he spoke for the rights of women. He was the only man of any color who was willing to get up and, you know, take the stage in the pulpit and say that women,、uh, women had rights. <laughs> he was all for them. Never mind. Let me start with Sojourner Truth because she's so down to earth and sensible.、Uh, I'm taking some bits from her speeches. There's a Statue of Sojourner Truth.、Uh, they're trying to get it. I think it's it's at the、uh, it's in Congress. I don't know where they put it, but、uh, there are a couple of other women. I think Euro American women with her, but they put the statues in the basement for a while and they got them out again. I have to check it out and see whether they're going to be whether they're going to get a a, a star position. Anyway, Sojourner Truth was born in 1797. And she was born in slavery. She died in 1883. Aha!、Uh-huh. These speeches I'm looking at were written in 1851 and 1867. Aha!、Uh-huh. She was named Isabella and born in upstate New York. She was a domestic servant after、uh, she escaped from slavery. She married and bore five children. 
Now, she chose this name, Sojourner Truth, in 1843 when she became an itinerant Protestant preacher. She soon joined the abolitionist and the women's rights movements, earning a reputation, you know, as an eloquent speaker. She had this uh, persuasive, uh, biblically influenced rhetoric, you know. In those days, the Bible was the essential, the essential work. Uh, she couldn't read, but she just knew the whole thing apparently by heart. She's one of the few orators to represent the experience of African-American women. Uh, I think, I think the reason people, well, I, I guess because she's just so straightforward and down to earth. I think that's the main uh, appeal. And of course, she has this terrific sense of humor. Uh, at a time when even social reformers replicated the racial discrimination of American culture. Sojourner Truth insisted that black women should have the same rights as white women. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> well, oh, that's way jumped the gun there. Now, the 1851 Ohio speech at the Women's Rights Convention has been reprinted uh, once in a stylized dialect based on some of the recollections of white participants. Now, the account I'm reading to you from was recorded by uh, the African-American journalist Marius Robinson. Now, he acknowledged that he could not capture truth's language in print. After emancipation, former abolitionists split over whether to endorse black suffrage. You know, is it to be black suffrage only or woman suffrage as well? <laughs> oh, boy. At the May 1867 meeting of the American Equal Rights Association, when truth was more than 70 years old, she called for equal rights for both former slaves, and for all women. She acknowledged the rarity of her black suffragist voice, and uh, she added to the political agenda a call to improve women's earning power. Shades of Martin Luther King, right. Uh, <laughs> Got to talk about economics, boys and girls. Uh, now, I'm just... Skipping, skipping lightly over this here, she says. Bits and pieces, she says. I can't read, but I can hear. I have heard the Bible, and I have learned that Eve caused man to sin. Well, if woman upset the world, do give her a chance to set it right side up again. <laughs> Later, she says... When Lazarus died, Mary and Martha came to him with faith and love and besought Jesus to raise their brother. And Jesus wept and Lazarus came forth. Now, how came Jesus into the world? Through God who created him and the woman who bore him. Uh, men, where is your part? But these women, these women are coming up. Blessed be God. And a few of the men are coming up 
with them. <laughs> that speech goes on at great length. You know, it's the the speech in which she says, you know, ain't I a woman all the way through? And she says, I have as much muscle as any man can do as much work. I have plowed and reaped and husked and chopped and mowed. Can any man do more than that? I have heard much about the sexes being equal. I can carry as much as any man. I can eat as much, too, if I can get it. <laughs> oh, yes, yeah, she says, the poor men seem to be all in confusion and don't know what to do. Why, now, children, if you have rights for women, give them to her and you will feel better. Ah, yes, if they get their rights, there won't be so much trouble. (laughs) Anyway, I'm skipping into the 1867 speech in which she's over 70 now. And as I said, she still doesn't read. She has a nephew who read to her. My friends, she says, I am rejoiced that you are glad, but I don't know how you will feel when I get through. I come from another field. I come from the country of the slave. They have got their liberty. So much good luck to have slavery partly destroyed, but not entirely. I want it root and branch destroyed, and then we will all be free indeed. I feel that if I have to answer for the deeds done in my body just as much as a man, then I have a right to have just as much as a man. Now, there is a great stir about colored men getting their rights. But not a word, not a word about the colored women. Now, if colored men get their rights and not colored women theirs, you see, then the colored men will be masters over the women, and it will be just as bad as it was before. In the margin, I've written, ouch! (laughs) Okay, Sojourner Truth goes on to say, so I, I am for keeping the thing going while things are stirring. Because if we wait till it is still, it will take a great while to get it going again. My marginalia says, yes, strike while the iron is hot. <laughs> she goes on to say, now, white women are a great deal smarter and no more than colored women. While colored women do not know scarcely anything, they go out washing, which is about as high as a colored woman gets, and their men go about idle, strutting up and down. When the women come home, they ask for their money and take it all, and then scold because there is no food. I want you to consider on that. Chillin, I call you chillin. You are somebody's chillin. I am old enough to be mother of all that is here. I want women to have their rights. In the courts, women have no right, no voice. Nobody speaks for them. I wish woman to have her voice there among the pettifoggers. 
pettifoggers. <laughs> if it is not a fit place for women, it is unfit for men to be there. I am above 80 years old. It is about time for me to be going. I have been 40 years a slave and 40 years free. I suppose I am kept here because something remains for me to do. I suppose I am yet to help to break the chain. I suppose I am about the only colored woman that goes about to speak for the rights of the colored woman. So I want to keep this thing stirring now that the ice is cracked. What we want is a little money. You men know that you get as much again as women. You know you get that when you write or for whatever you do. When we get our rights, we shall not have to come to you for money. For then we shall have money enough in our own pockets. And it may be that you will ask us for money. Ah. And this goes on a great deal about uh, the slaveholders and, you know, what they owe. And uh, it's pretty clear, it's pretty obvious. Uh, she says, in closing, she says, I've been in Washington about three years. It's 1864, the end of the Civil War. Right, that's it. And then she stayed on there. Till, till she died in 1867, right? Not long after the Civil War. She saw the war at the end of her life. She said, I've been seeing about these colored people because now colored men have the right to vote and what I want is to have colored women have the right to vote. Ought to be equal rights now more than ever since colored people have got their freedom. Now, I'm going to talk several times while I'm here. But now I will do a little singing. I have not heard any singing since I came here. <laughs> That's the end of the section of uh, the speeches of Sojourner Truth, right? I wonder if Walt Whitman, yes, could hear America singing today in 2016. Anyway, she understood that, of course, you must always finish with a song. Yes, it's not over till we sing. Anyway, uh, I'm going to skip all the way up to the third wave of feminist, feminism because, uh, well... Because I think it's important to remember, uh, what is it? We must always look at the, what do you call it, the, the, the great arc of history, as Martin Luther King says. Uh, I have an essay here in front of me. This is a collection I have, the Essential Feminist Reader, uh, Modern Library. You know, I like to keep these big reference books on the shelf. Just pull them up. Uh, this section is written by Alice Walker's daughter, Rebecca Walker. How about that? 
She's writing in the United States in 1992, and this essay is called Becoming the Third Wave. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating stuff. I was talking about Anita Hill, I think last week it was, and how uh, as an African-American woman, she she got pretty well shafted by the Senate committee that was trying to confirm uh, Clarence Thomas on the Supreme Court. Took them one week to, um, I don't want to say, defeat her. She was not defeated, actually. She was a big wake-up call. And uh, I think she probably was the spark for the third wave. But that was now back in 1992. Let's see, 10, 20, that's a quarter of a century ago. So, okay, let's see. Rebecca Walker, when the African-American lawyer Anita Hill testified to the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee in 1992 that Supreme Court nominee Clarence Thomas had sexually harassed her. The interrogation of Anita Hill by those male legislators and their disbelief of her charges catalyzed feminist activism around the country. In addition to inspiring women to run for office, that Anita Hill Clarence Thomas uh, testimony uh, that unleashed personal stories of sexual harassment in the workplace and on the streets, dismayed by the treatment of Anita Hill, the then college student Rebecca Walker, the daughter of the acclaimed African-American feminist writer Alice Walker, she called for young women to create a third wave of feminism. Rebecca Walker rejected the idea of post-feminism. She worked to engage young women in politics. After launching a voter registration campaign to counter youth apathy, Uh, Rebecca Walker and others created the Third Wave Foundation to help finance young women's political projects. In 1995, Rebecca Walker published an anthology. Uh, The title is To Be Real, Telling the Truth and Changing the Face of Feminism. This anthology helped popularize Third Wave Feminism in the United States. I have a little footnote here. Uh, For those of you who who like to uh, like to think of think of the image of the person that you're listening to. uh, Maybe you saw a movie uh, called Primary Colors. It was supposed to be the story of the election of Bill Clinton and his good wife, (laughs) good wife Hillary. The roles were played by John Travolta and Emma Thompson. It was terrific. Anyway, Rebecca Walker had a role in the movie, that is, in primary colors. She played the the girlfriend of a young man who is uh, brought into the circle of the Clintons. He's supposed to help them win this election. And 
the young woman, his girlfriend, she thinks he's becoming corrupted. And, of course, he is. Uh, he's being... <laughs> He's being subjected to the kind of, kind of, well, you know, he has to make those choices. He doesn't know whether it's okay to do a not-so-good thing. In, well, you know, he's stuck with that, does the end justify the means? And his girlfriend uh, writes for a radical newspaper that he used to write for, and she thinks that he... He has sold out, and so she splits. Anyway, if you remember the role, that was Rebecca Walker. Um, she is, oh gosh, I don't know what we call it, a very light-skinned woman. Uh, father was a Jewish lawyer. I'm trying to remember his name. Alice Walker's husband uh, was many, many years ago. Uh, I do not know at what point that marriage Ended. I do know that Gloria Steinem was definitely a surrogate mother for Rebecca Walker. Fascinating stuff. Anyway, here's Alice Walker's contribution to third wave feminism. She says, I'm not one of the people who sat transfixed before the television watching those Senate hearings. She's talking about Anita Hill and Clarence Thomas. I had classes to go to, papers to write, and frankly, the whole thing was too painful. A black man grilled by a panel of white men about his sexual deviance. A black woman claiming harassment and being discredited by other women. I could not bring myself to watch that sensationalized assault of the human spirit. For me, the hearings were not about determining whether or not Clarence Thomas did, in fact, harass Anita Hill. They were about checking and redefining the extent of women's credibility and power. Can a woman's experience undermine a man's career? Can a woman's voice, a woman's sense of self-worth and injustice, challenge a structure predicated upon the subjugation of our gender? Anita Hill's testimony threatened to do that and more. If Thomas had not been confirmed, every man in the United States would be at risk for just how many senators never told a sexist joke? How many men have not used their protected male privilege to thwart in some way the influence or ideas of a woman colleague or friend or relative. For those whose sense of power is so obviously connected to their health and vigor of the penis, it would have been a metaphorical castration. And, of course, this is too great a threat. While some may laud the whole spectacle for the consciousness it raised around sexual harassment, its very real outcome is more informative. He was promoted, she was repudiated. Men were assured of the inviolability of their penis power. Women were admonished to keep their experiences to themselves. 
The backlash against U.S. women is real. As the misconception of equality between the sexes becomes more ubiquitous, so does the attempt to restrict the boundaries of women's personal and political power. My time's running out, folks. Thomas's confirmation, the ultimate rally of support for the male paradigm of harassment, sends a clear message to women, shut up. Even if you speak, we will not listen. Well, I will not be silenced. Now, if you have HBO, you can see the, uh, the television show, Confirmation. It's a terrific docudrama about Clarence Thomas and Anita Hill. You remember Joseph Biden was the chairman of that committee. Uh, this has been Jennifer Stone. I'll be with you next Tuesday at the same time. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. On September 1st, 1987... Vietnam veteran Brian Wilson sat down on the train tracks outside the Concord Naval Weapons Station in California. In this nonviolent direct action against the U.S. government munitions train sending weapons to Central America during the Contra Wars, Wilson lost both of his legs. KPFA invites you to a special premiere screening of the new documentary film, Paying the Price for Peace, the story of S. Brian Wilson, featuring luminaries such as Alice Walker, Daniel Ellsberg, Medea Benjamin, Ron Kovic, and more. This is happening Tuesday, September 6th at 7 p.m. at the Grand Lake Theater, 3200 Grand Avenue. For more information, call 510-432-3556. That's 510-432-3556.